Welcome to the Real Estate Ventures Podcast. In this podcast, we will be speaking with various real estate and business professionals about real estate investing, entrepreneurship, and financial freedom. So, if you're interested in learning about real estate investing, then stay tuned and be sure to take advantage of the free tips and strategies that will be shared by our weekly guests. And now, your host, Penny Lubinsky. Hello and welcome to the Real Estate Ventures Podcast. I'm your host, Penny Lubinsky. Thanks for joining us. Today, we have Johannes Eperlainen. Johannes, welcome to the show. Thank you, Penny. It's great to be here. Yeah, a pleasure, pleasure to have you on. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, your bio, and what kind of led you into real estate? Absolutely. So my day job is as a professor of energy resources and environment at the Johns Hopkins University. I teach in the School of Advanced International Studies here in Washington, D.C. My background when it comes to real estate, it really all started with passive investing. I've been a real estate investor on the passive side now for about three years. And uh, I was just interested in diversifying away from the stock market where I was watching the valuations climb and climb and climb and the cash flow just decrease and decrease and decrease. And that got me looking into alternative investments. More recently, I've gone active. I've started working on a few real estate ventures. I work with a company that does 3D printed built rent communities. I'm the chief investment officer of Calro CRE Partners, which is a California based entity. And I'm also acquiring multifamily assets in the Midwest and in the Sun Belt. Cool, excellent. So um, it sounds like you're definitely getting your hands quite full with uh, different real estate ventures and, and different, you know, journeys for you within the real estate world. Um, but I'd like to go back to the beginning of uh, when you started out being a passive investor, because this is something we haven't covered yet on the podcast. And as you know, this is a podcast that's geared towards people that are looking to get started in real estate. They're looking to take their first step, looking to get that education. And I think, you know, that would be interesting to hear um, for a lot of the listeners, kind of a little bit more about like how the passive investment journey went. So can you tell us a little bit more about like how many deals was that overall? How did that go? And just how, how was the passive investment journey for you? Absolutely. So the first thing I did was kind of semi-active. I bought a rental here in Northern Virginia, where I live. And uh, my experience doing that was not so great. Uh, I didn't love the management side of things. And I also didn't appreciate the fact that there's not a whole lot of cash flow in a market like Northern Virginia today. Then I just stumbled on these syndications. It was some of these platforms online like Fundrise and uh, CrowdStreet and so on. And I made some investments through these platforms and I had a much better experience with those. I made good returns from the beginning. My timing was pretty good. I started before the pandemic. And after that initial scare, saw the valuations skyrocket pretty quickly. And I also just got interested in the business. I started reading books. I started going to websites. I went to meetups and tried to learn as much as I, I could about real estate. And then over those you know, first year or two, I became, I'd say, a pretty savvy passive investor. 
I had a pretty good sense of how to look at a deal, how to analyze it and how it fits to my investment objectives. Right. So it's interesting. So, okay. So investing with those platforms. So that was your first taste of a true passive investment, right? Cause I mean, they're taking care of literally everything. Like you're not having to chase tenants, um, evict tenants or, or clean toilets or anything like that uh, with these platforms. So you truly were getting a taste of, of that. And then from my understanding, you also were involved in um, actual like syndications on, on actual deals. And you also did do with these platforms. So, I mean, did, did you have, is, would you say like for the listeners, like one avenue is better than the other or like, how was, how was that? Like, you know, one compared to the other. So first of all, some of the platforms that I subscribe to actually do syndications. So these are online platforms, but in the end, you end up investing as a limited partner. In oh, a okay. Others are more like fund style. And I had a much better experience with the syndications, both because the returns were just much better than, let's say, on a kind of a, you know, a real estate trust style investment. And second of all, the reporting, you get the details on the actual properties and not just a top line number. I just love that. Mm -hmm. Got it. And then you, you spoke about before how you became uh, more of a savvy investor and you kind of were able to pick out like the good deals from the bad ones. And you've, you've invested quite a bit. So I would imagine the deal flow was strong and you probably have a lot of opportunities. Um, at this time, how do you help decide, you know, which investment to go forward with as opposed to push to the side? Like what, what are you kind of looking for in the team, the market, the, the, the sponsor? Absolutely. So, so the first thing, obviously, is understanding your own investment goals. So there's different types of investors. I'm myself still quite young. Not that everybody would agree with this statement. I'm 39. I have a well-paying full-time job. I have a consulting practice that brings in uh, another six figures every year. So I don't really need the money right now. It's, for me, it's all about good risk-adjusted returns over time. So I don't really need my 10% cash on cash year one. What I need is strong overall returns. So that's number one. The second point then would be that for me, I think the saying that bet on the jockey and not on the horse is really key to real estate. The most important thing is the team that is actually making the investment. And this is something that is sometimes a bit tricky with these syndications because a team can have like 10 people on it for a big asset. And you don't know who's actually doing the work. It took me a long time to figure out that some of these so-called syndicators are just capital raisers. They don't actually do any of the work. So what you really need to know is who is in the lead, who is doing the work, what is their track record, what are they trying to do? And so that's the number one. I do obviously look at the market. I look at the asset, you know, population growth, employment growth in the market. Uh, the asset is it, what is the class? Is it, you know, a class B kind of a nice asset? Is it class C more like workforce? I look at those things. Financing is very important. How much leverage is there in the deal? High leverage means more risk, but better returns. So how much are you willing to accept? And then the fees and the, the terms. There's often all kinds of hidden fees that make it a lot less favorable for the investor. So those are some of the things that I look at in an investment. Right. And I love that. And, you know, even for, for someone like myself, I mean, the three main things that I'm constantly looking out for 
um, is a strong team, a strong market and strong underwriting. And, you know, I'll say that definitely like it's hard to it's hard to come by. It really is like just, you know, to, to get all those three in the same package. But I will say kind of like um, going on what you said before about, you know, trusting in, in the jockey, trusting the team. Um, that really is the most important one for me as well. And the reason is because it really does encompass, at least the way I look at it is it encompasses everything else. Because if you're investing with a very experienced team, a team that has a great track record, that that's very detail oriented, very conservative with their underwriting, has the right values, then all those other side issues, they're just going to fall away because they will choose a strong market. They will underwrite their, their deals conservatively. They will communicate well. So it's almost like, yeah, there's a few like really important steps, you know, to, to do and to look for when evaluating investment opportunities. But I definitely agree with you that the team is definitely the most important and the sponsor, the ones that are running the deal, those are, I mean, you're putting your trust in them and that's really the, the name of the game. And then also to, to go on the other thing that you mentioned um, is that you obviously, you know, for investors, for people that are listening to this and they just want to know, hey, what's considered a safe deal? What should we be looking for? Um, so a couple of things that I just wanted to throw out is, is, you know, basically, you know, no deal will ever hit exact pro forma. I don't think it has happened in history where somebody projects 19.2% IRR and a 7.9% cash flow and they hit exactly that. It's almost always going to be less um, or it's all, almost always going to be more. It's never going to be exact. So something that, you know, you as an investor for the, for the, the people listening to this, it's your job. If you want to be investing passively in deals, it's your job to either educate yourself to learn how to underwrite a deal, learn how to vet your sponsor, how to vet the market, how to really, you know, underwrite and understand the investment opportunity or find somebody that does know how to vet or underwrite or, you know, analyze these deals for you. Because to go in, um, you know, without understanding the opportunity um, is just, I look at that as just irresponsible. And to be quite honest, like there's a lot of bad teams out there that are doing risky deals and dangerous deals and, you know, just taking investors capital and just playing games with it or, or just putting it at total risk. So I think for an investor, like it's really important to, understand what does conservative underwriting mean and understand how to evaluate an opportunity. Um, and like I said before, like if you don't know how to, that's fine, but find someone that does. There are these third-party underwriting companies that, you know, can underwrite the deal for you. It costs two, 300 bucks. And, you know, in the scheme of the deal, it's almost always a good uh, ROI return on investment to do that. So yeah, that, that's just my thoughts in terms of that. But um what, what are, uh, just another question for you, Johannes. Um, so when you're looking at the OM, right? Um, so what are like some of the like minimum returns or uh, metrics that you'd be looking for uh, before moving forward on a deal? Once you've obviously, you know, vetted the team and the market and all the other good stuff. Yeah, so for me as an investor, I typically would say that if the returns are below 15% internal, uh, rate of return or annualized return, those two are roughly the same thing, then I would not look at it because I can get 15% by investing in an ATM fund with zero leverage and very low risk. So what is the point of 
having a leveraged asset that produces less than uh, an investment like that. And then it would, from there, it would really depend on the nature of the deal. I could have some solid kind of singles at you know 15% with conservative underwriting, uh, lots of cash flow, very good team, totally fine. And then I could invest in a new construction project and expect closer to like you know 25% uh, over three years. Right. So it really depends. I mean, the kind of what you're saying is it depends on what your goals are, what your investment goals and values are, and it depends on the opportunity. So there, there, there really isn't like a, a set answer. It's more just like, hey, if you want to take on this much risk, you can probably get this much re return. If you want to take on less, you know, you'll probably get less. But another thing I just wanted to throw out there, and it is just, this is just like a pet peeve of mine. It's something that I've been seeing in the market recently is investors, um, paying too much attention to just the returns meaning what what i what i can see what i see is that a lot of investors they get an om right from a sponsor and they're just going to fast forward through all the other pages and they're just going to go to the returns page and they're going to be like okay this one has 20 percent average annual return and 10 percent cash flow it must be a great deal boom let's invest in this one or they're going to see a couple numbers less um, you know, and, and then they're going to say, oh, this, this is not a good deal. Let's not invest in this one. And so many times, so many times, like I mentioned before, you know, it's a, a deal is almost never hitting exact performance, either going to be more or it's going to be less. And it's just, I think that it's every investor's responsibility to make sure that they know how to analyze a deal, because if you're just looking at the returns, how do you know this deal wasn't based on best case scenarios? How do you know that this is underwritten conservatively? So you're just basing um, your investment decision based on their pro forma. Like, how do you know you can count on that? And just to add a quick story, I'm in this um, mastermind that, that we meet up every Wednesday with a bunch of really, really cool real estate investors. And um, basically, um, somebody was saying this past Wednesday that they were looking to um, raise capital for a sponsor, for a team. And they, the sponsor told this, this person that, oh, we don't plan on actually hitting pro forma. We just put that there to be able to attract investors, but we're not gonna actually achieve that. And you know that to me, everyone was like, wow, like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. Is that actually happening? And she's like, yeah, absolutely. Like he told me that straight up. He's like, yep, we're, but we're not gonna, we're not going to tell investors this. We're just going to, you know, we're going to get them. We're going to, we're going to pry them in. We're going to drag them into the deal. And then once they're in, it's too late. And then, you know, they'll realize later that they're not going to actually achieve those returns. So one thing I just want to stress over and over, like there are so many things to look out for in a deal. Like we, like Johannes mentioned, there's a strong team, right? There's a strong market. There's the demographics in the market. There's the median income. There's the, the strong underwriting with the expenses and everything. And how over, is it over leveraged? Is it not? please don't just look at the returns, please. It's your responsibility as an investor to become an educated investor and learn which are really the good opportunities. Because remember, it's never hitting pro forma. It's either gonna be more or it's gonna be less. Do you wanna go into a deal that's gonna underperform or would you rather go into a deal that's gonna overperform or at least has a really high chance of over, out, outperforming the projections? That's just my little uh, vent on this topic. Absolutely, I completely agree with that. And there's a few kind of metrics that you can look at to see how investors should assess the return. So one of them is the cap rate. So at how valuable do you think the building is when you sell it five years down the road? 
you make that cap rate a bit lower, meaning the building is more valuable. And of course, the returns are magically going to be much higher, but you don't control the cap rate. It's not yours to decide. It's completely out of your control. So how do you assess that? Second one is refinance. If you assume that you can refinance the building in 12 months, you're going to make amazing returns because you get your money back tax-free in year two. But again, how likely is that? What if the market turns you know, south? What, what if something goes wrong? And then third one is the hold period. Shorter deals tend to produce more returns because you sell earlier, but then you pay the taxes. You get cash tracked because then you need to find the new deal. There's all the accounting and everything. So generally longer holds are better. I would rather have you know, a seven year hold with 18% than a one year hold with 21% any, right. any day. Absolutely. No, that makes sense. And yeah, it's interesting how you kind of like, like found your niche, you found like what you're looking for in your deals. And like, I guess, like we mentioned, like you are getting a strong deal flow now. So you are able to sort of pick and choose and cherry pick, so to speak, like what deals, which deals exactly you want to join and which one's not. So yeah, that's awesome. Um, so I'm curious to hear from you. Um, you, you had mentioned that you were looking to diversify a little bit out of the stock market and you found real estate to be a good avenue. So are you of the belief um, that real estate beats stocks or stocks beats real estate these days, or is it kind of like 50-50? Are you in both? Where, where do you kind of like, where, where do you stand? What's your, what's your mindset with this whole thing? First of all, I am in both, but partly because I'm forced to be in both. My university retirement plan is a 403B which is the worst possible retirement plan. So there's nothing I can do about that. They forced me to put the money into index funds or bonds. Right now, I believe that real estate beats the stock market. And the reason is that the stock valuations are extremely high and most stocks don't produce any cash flow at all. So in the next 10 years, I think the stock market is going to be very disappointing after a very good decade since 2008 or so. Real estate, on the other hand, will face some challenges. Who knows what happens with these valuations, which are also high. But the fundamental fact in the United States is that we are millions and millions of housing units behind the demand. So that means that the rents will have to go up. And we know where people are moving. They're moving to Texas. They're moving to Florida. They're moving to the Carolinas. So as long as you invest in growing places with good diversified employers, the rents will continue to grow. And so that's why I believe that real estate has some very good opportunities for investors right now. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, you know, what's interesting is that, you know, there's been a lot of talk about, um, you know, with the interest rates starting to creep up a little bit. Hey, is that going to start affecting like the, the home values or the property values a little bit um, and what's going to be with cap rates? But I actually heard uh, Ken McElroy um, say that he believes, and he's very into, you know, look at this from a, a bigger picture. So if you really, when you're looking at this um, economically, it, it comes down to supply and demand, almost like everything else. And kind of like what you just mentioned as well, there are just so many people that want not enough housing in these hot markets. So yeah, if you're going to invest in places that have an out migration of people, you know, tons of people moving out, jobs leaving, people leaving. Um, yeah, you may run into some more bumps in the road, but I kind of see it like you do. And I'm very, very bullish on real estate, specifically multifamily real estate and specifically the B and C asset class, because those are kind of like the middle. They're the least at risk. There's mo most people that are just concentrated in those groups that are just always going to need a place to live. 
And kind of like what you just mentioned was that there's just not enough places for them to live. So if you end up being a landlord in some of the places that you just mentioned, like Texas and Florida, Carolina, Georgia, maybe, um, you're just sitting in a good spot because you have a commodity. You have something that everybody needs. There's not enough of it. And there's just going to be, you're, you can very well expect like the rent to increase. You can expect a strong demand of renters and potential renters coming to your market and your properties. So I just think it's a fantastic place to be. And then another thing is also um, real estate tends to move very slowly. So real estate's not exactly the kind of industry where today it's good, tomorrow it won't be good. It's it's more of just like, it's, it's a wave. It's like a slow and steady and strong wave. And I think that we are only starting to hit the strong wave of people starting to move out of the Northeast, going down to the Southeast, and then, you know, also to the Midwest. So I think that's like a trend that's just only now starting to pick up. And I think it's going to be, continue to stay strong for many years to come. So I'm kind of with you, with you on that one. Johannes, have you ever had a home run as investing as an LP? Has you, have you ever had an opportunity that just totally way outshot the projections and yeah, was a total home run or grand slam, so to speak? Because of the Fed's money printing binge after COVID-19, I've actually had four home runs uh, so far. So uh, one, one of them, the best one is a property in Jacksonville, Florida, where I invested in May 2021. It's now sold. I made an 80% return in seven months and I was able to 1031 into the next property. So I'm not paying any taxes on that either. So that's, that's one. Um, I'll give you another example. I invested in an industrial asset uh, in Arizona, in Phoenix. And that one was 100% leased with a major corporation uh, before it was constructed. And now it's being sold. And at that point, it looks like I'll double my money in about eight months on that one. Wow, that's incredible. And people don't think of these returns when they when they think of real estate. It's it's more like Bitcoin kind of uh, kind of returns, but it's pretty phenomenal to see like what can happen when you just position yourself right with the right team in a really good market. Um, so so that Jacksonville deal, like like was that that wasn't supposed to be a one year hold, right? That was supposed to be probably more like a three or a five or a seven, and you just hit total best case scenarios. Everything went amazing. And the team's like, all right, let's just liquidate and, and get out of this thing. And Exactly. And so, so first of all, it was initially one of the best deals based on the underwriting and everything that I've seen. Very strong team, uh, fantastic asset bought at a very low price in an excellent location in Northern Jacksonville. So I love the deal from very beginning. In fact, I went so far that I took additional loans to be able to invest in it because I realized that this is a pretty unique opportunity. But wow. of course, then it turned out it worked out way better than anybody could have uh, guessed. That's incredible. That's amazing. Yeah. And I just wanted to, to like share that because, you know, like that's just an example of investing in a great market with a great team with conservative underwriting, right? You obviously way outperform the performa, the projections. And that's just what's possible if you're just, if you, you as the listeners become educated investors and learn how to vet your you know, your deals, your sponsors, your teams, and your markets. Um, all right, cool stuff. So Johannes, let's just dive into the final four here. Um, this is more like rapid question answer type. What is, what is your why? Why are you doing all this? I've always been quite a driven person. I love building institutions and systems and businesses. And I've just had a great time doing real estate. It seems a good way to 
build wealth and buy myself financial freedom. So that's been the been the main main interest for me. All right, cool stuff. What would your favorite book be? That is a difficult question because there's so many great books, but one that I would like to throw out here is called The Untethered Soul uh, by Michael A. Singer. It's a wonderful kind of philosophical book uh, by a guy who runs a multi-billion dollar health business, who's a yoga center teacher, who's just done incredible things in life. He's a philosophy teacher. And I just, it's kind of like a biography and I just love it. It's, it's such a wonderful story. Okay. Do you have a favorite real estate book? Favorite real estate book? Here I'm going to have to geek out a little bit. I love uh, Rob Beardsley's uh, Definitive Guide to Underwriting. I'm not sure if everybody would love that book, <laughs> but for me, that was a real eye-opener on how to actually do underwriting. And I've invested with Rob and done very well with him. So, Okay, cool. Um, what advice would you give to somebody that is looking to get started in real estate? Get educated. So it really, I know that there's this sort of idea that you have to take massive action and momentum and all that. But if you take massive action with your capital before you've learned how this game works, it's probably not going to work out so great. So I think it's important to take action. But before you do that, make sure that you actually know how to analyze these things and you're not investing on emotion or because you're fear of missing out or because you see great stuff on social media. That's great. How can people get educated? Like what, what, what are the best ways? How did you get educated? There's a lot of books out there, uh, great books that you can read. I mentioned one of them, but there's so many of others like, you know, Joe Fairless or that one's uh, great. Jake like and Gino. There's a lot of like basic material you can get. Go to meetups. There's a lot of virtual meetups where you can meet people. And when you see deals, ask questions. Go to the sponsors. The sponsors are always hunting for investors. When they hear that you have capital to deploy, they are like sharks smelling blood. They will do anything to get you invest in your deals. So ask them questions. Ask them, can we schedule a 20 minute call to ask questions about underwriting? And if they say no, move on to the next sponsor. There are many others who will take that time and who will help you become a loyal investor over time. Yeah, it's actually funny you say that because on my last Houston raise, um, I had one investor of mine who actually did not end up investing in the deal, but probably called me for about 10 nights in a row with different questions every single night um, and then ended up not investing in the deal. But I, I had made it very clear. Um, this is, you know, this individual is his first time actually ever even considering real estate. And it was more just like a learning experience. And I said, like, I'm totally fine to do that. I said, like, let's Let's use this as a good opportunity to train you on a live deal. You're asking real live questions. They're valid questions. Let's get you answers. And this way, even if not with me, with a different sponsor or future down the road, later down the road, like you'll be better prepared um, to be able to invest in the, in the deal. So you can, I, I like that advice. And like, that's, you know, everybody can do that. There's a lot of teams that you can sign up on their newsletter or their, you know, deal alert letter or whatever it is. Um, to start getting the investment opportunities. And once you do, like, you don't have to invest in it. You can just ask them questions. Um, yeah, and that's a great way to, to get educated on live actual deals. So yeah, great advice. What is, uh, what's your favorite hobby? Another difficult question. I have a number of them, but I would say it's either reading biographies or running. Those are the two things that I, I love. All right, cool stuff. Um, how can people contact you? Easiest way to find me is on LinkedIn. 
So uh, I have a pretty unusual name. I'm the only Johannes Urpelainen in the world. So you can easily find me there and just DM me and let's talk. Got it. Awesome. Well, Johannes, thank you very much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. You shared a lot of valuable content and um, you really gave, I think, I feel like you gave people a nice, clear understanding of how they can start getting getting invested in real estate as an LP. And I think, and I really do think that that's a great avenue for a lot of people to take their first step, whether they want to go active one day or whether they don't want to go active one day. It's a great way to start accumulating passive income and residual income and really, you know, get inch your way closer to financial freedom, which is, I think, at the end of the day, the, uh, the name of the game. So Johannes, thank you so much once again, and uh, let's stay in touch. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Ventures Podcast with Penny Lubinsky. For more free, valuable content, visit plcapitalventures.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to leave a review and rating on iTunes and subscribe to our channel. This helps the podcast grow and get noticed. See you next time.